What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Revolutionary Revolutionary Edition. That's it. We'll just stick with that. If, oh, if you have it's to appropriate add... since it was just Bastille Day, so I think Revolutionary oh, oh. Edition sounds just right. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, if you have to have if you have to add adjectives or anything else to the revolutionary to the word revolutionary, you haven't really done it right. You know, I suppose so. Revolutionary okay. should, um, should fill itself. Should stand on its own, is that what you're thinking? Stand on it, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rise up, people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't need those nouns and adjectives. Stand well, I yourself. should say a lot of internet comments suggest that that is the case, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Uh, welcome, everyone, back to What the If. Uh, it's been a whole week and a, a, a lot of exciting science news today. We're going to... We have a very exciting uh, if that we'll take on this week that's ripped from the headlines of the 1600s uh, and this week. (laughs) Um, But before we get to that, we'll do that real quick in one second. Uh, I want to welcome our guests. First of all, welcome back to the show. We missed you last week. Gabby Panicia from Rockefeller University. Have you completed your uh, relocation uh, transformation? Yeah, I have. I was definitely a lot of work calling boxes back and forth, but I am in uh, a new location broadcasting from a new secret bunker. Um, and if my audio happens to sound crunchier than usual, it is because I packed my nice mic and cannot figure out where it is. Um, yeah. So hopefully that will be rectified by next week. Well, yeah, that is the moving experience, right? So there's the, the one thing you can't find for like six months, and then it turns out you packed it inside the pressure cooker or something and until you open it up to use it you don't notice it's there that's true yeah the i've had a lot cooker. of that yeah mm-hmm. i've had a lot of that with like there was an orange bag where is the orange bag i'm pretty sure the <laughs> yeah, orange bag had but then we just lose track of the orange bag yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> i uh i famously um i was telling gabby before the show one, I'd moved, I've moved many times. Growing up, we, we lived in a lot of different places, and then I went to undergrad university, and I lived, God, I probably moved in a different place each year of that, and then I went to grad school. And then um, one time again, I was moving yet again after having living, lived in one apartment, I think, for about three years. And in the packing up process, I discovered four boxes, uh, small boxes, but that had never been opened. Uh, in the, in, oh, wow. in the entire, since I'd last moved, and I just threw them out. I just threw them out. I don't know what was in them. Clearly didn't need whatever was in them, you know. I guess that's right, uh, so. but it seems like it could have been a, a time capsule, kind of. Yeah, thing, a right? bit of you me would have wanted that. to, like, excavate it. But, you know, <laughs> at a certain point, you know that actually you've got, you know, I, I, I was like, oh, it would just be more hoarding. So it'd just be more like I already had yeah, like how many more time capsule? Yeah, right. That's true. It's, uh, I was like, yeah, I, I like that time more... capsules inside the time capsule. Yeah, exactly. Like how many time capsules do I need? You know, mm-hmm. um, 
But uh, yeah, so here we are. And um, speaking of time travel, speaking of time travel, um, there was very exciting news this week from the science, from the astronomy community in particular, of the James Webb Space Telescope. After more than 20 years in development, um, six months since it launched, and uh, basically six months of tuning up and calibrating and all that kind of stuff, released its first uh, official astronomical observations, released its images, spectacular series of five images, well, four images and one graph. But I, I did love how they, uh, kudos to the scientists for saying, we're releasing five images, and then one of them was a spectrograph, was a graph of chemicals. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but nonetheless, quite amazing, uh, quite an amazing revelation in there. So uh, uh, as I was watching all this news, it, it came to me, you know, I guess we've been doing this show long enough that ifs come to me spontaneously sometimes. Uh, and so I, I don't know why, I just had an image of um, what would happen if um, our friend Galileo Galilei, that old chap who uh, maybe, Matt, you, you'll, you'll be able to fill us in a little bit more on, on who he was specifically, the man behind the legend. Um, but what if he just popped his eye into his telescope, regarded as one of the first telescopes um, used for astronomy, and uh, he saw what the James Webb telescope saw? It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, what would that mean? And um, so before we jump into that, um, Matt, could you explain for someone who's totally new, um, asking themselves, what, in, what, what kind of question is this? What is this? What is this show? What have they accidentally found their way uh, falling, falling through a black hole and coming out the other side and, and turning on this podcast? Oh, well, you, you have found a place where... Uh... Uh, the very laws of reality and history are suddenly in play and can be changed. <laughs> uh, so this is where we find out what it would be like if humans had tails or hamsters had YouTube accounts um, or if Julius <laughs> Caesar had um, been a more pleasant person. Um, uh, oh, uh, we change one, something about the world. Um, it might be in the past. It might be in the future. It might be in the moment. It might be in the nature uh, of physics itself. Uh, and then we run with the consequences and figure out what things would be like if our little change came to be. Uh, and hopefully we learn some stuff along the way, too. Indeed. Indeed. And this is, this is, a, this is an idea. It's a big... Sometimes, you know, we, we have a whole range. We have different genres of ifs. Sometimes we take on... Uh, mm -hmm. It's a straight-up um, um, simple thing of, like, what if we were there at a particular time? That would be kind of fun. We'll be doing one of those episodes coming up. We have some amazing guests, in fact, bringing us historical stories in which we'll imagine, what if we happen to be the scientist who asked that very first question and then went on to research that very real topic and we follow that through? Mm -hmm. Other times we ask, what if we could change our scale? What if we could get very small and go inside the body and see things happening? Um, and in this case, however, we are asking, what the if? Galileo's Telescope were so powerful <laughs> he he really would have been shocked if he brought his little telescope up to his eye looked inside and he saw what the james webb telescope just saw this week what the if 
Galileo had his mind blown. That amazing long hair he has that all the people seem to have at that period, which I so admire. Um, although I do wonder what the, I feel like one of the commodities that must have been an essential part of world trade would have been hair conditioner. I don't know at that time. Uh, you, you would have been very rich if you had uh, <laughs> a market on hair conditioner back in the 17th century. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Prell. Was not, not, not a lot of options. Yeah. Not, it's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, just, I think people think people think they know. You know, we say Galileo, and I think I'm sure everyone in the audience, because we, you, you learn about Galileo when you're very young in school, uh, and they kind of possibly get in. Everyone gets an immediate, very sketchy image in their mind. But uh, Matt, can you give us just a little bit more specific? Who who was who's Galileo? Well, who's so for the the time we're thinking about, um, he's a contemporary of Shakespeare if you want to help Ooh. kind of locate him in, in cultural time. Um, he's, uh, he's Italian. Um, he, his father is a musician, particularly a court musician in Italy at the time. Huh. Um, and in a, a career trajectory that was totally logical at the time, but doesn't make a whole lot of sense today, because his father was a musician, he was trained in mathematics. Um, and this seems a little odd today, but um, at the at the time, they still followed the sort of the Greek way of dividing up kinds of knowledge in which mathematics as an umbrella included what we would think of as, say, geometry um, and arithmetic, but also um, uh, astronomy and uh, engineering and music. Um, that is, all of these shared the same kind of conceptual techniques. Um, That's really cool. So Galileo decides to just run with a different angle on mathematics than his father did. Um, uh, so he's interested in astronomy, um, also trained in uh, art. Um, this actually becomes an important part of the, the story. Um, and uh, at the time we're we're looking at him. This is sort of the very early years of 1600s. Um, he's a pretty much unknown mathematician at the University of Padua, um, which is not a very exciting place, either now or then. Um, <laughs> apologies to any of our listeners in, in Padua today. Um, uh, and he is, let's see here, what's our way to say this? He's always hustling. Um, he wants better. Um, he doesn't like being a poorly paid professor of mathematics at the University of Padua. Um, so he's always looking for side projects, um, things that he can make a little extra money on. Uh, and eventually he's hoping to score a better job. Um, and these are all actually really important parts of, of um, the telescope story. Um, so one of the things, because uh, as I mentioned, um, under the umbrella of mathematics was also engineering. Um, and one of the most important applications for engineering at the time is nowadays what you think of as military engineering. So mm-hmm. doing things like um, building mechanical calculators for figuring out artillery trajectories um, or how to design better ships. Um, he's, got, he's always trying to, in particular, he's trying to get to Florence. So he's always trying to um, uh, sell his little inventions and things to either Venice or Florence to try to get better jobs there. Um, and one of the things he encounters is this funny tube um, that shows up on a ship that comes from the Netherlands. Um, we don't actually know who invents the telescope. It's somebody in 
the Netherlands, probably Amsterdam. Um, and uh, it tells you something important about the, uh, the kind of networked economy of the day that, um, this invention that this thing is developed in the Netherlands and then shows up in Italy, um, via ship, probably within just weeks. So before like news of it gets out, the physical object shows up. Um, and, uh, one of Galileo's friends sees this thing down on the docks, uh, and says, Oh, you know what? I think Galileo might be interested in this. So Galileo comes down, takes a look at it, um, decides that this is, is, he had, this was, he was an excellent, uh, Galileo was very good at gathering people around who were going to help him out. Um, And then uh, sometimes they, they betray him too, but that's, that's another part of the story. Um, But Galileo looks at this and he says, this is something that I can sell to the Venetians. Um, So his initial thought upon looking at the telescope is says, this is something with great military uh, value. Right, because you can spot yeah. enemy ships far away. Um, so he improves a little bit. He polishes it up. Um, and the Venetians are like, yeah, we'll give you a little <laughs> money for it. Um, so Galileo's like, well, I've got a, I wonder what else I can do with this thing um, that might get me um, some scratch. And uh, what he does is he points it at the sky. Um, and he's not the first person to do this. Um he doesn't invent the telescope. He's not the first person to point it at the sky. Um, but what he is able to do is um, figure out how to package what he's seeing in a way that is of interest to other people. Um, and in particular, he's trying to get the attention of the Medici family, um, who's this super rich, super powerful uh, group in, in Southern Europe at the time. Um, and what he wants is for them to become, uh, in particular Cosmo de' Medici, to become his patron. Um, so normally patronage at the time is a thing for artists. So if you're a spectacular sculptor or whatnot, um, uh. you're so good that a rich person comes and says, okay, come hang out at my place and I'll give you money and then you'll make nice paintings for me. Um, and Galileo says, well, why can't I do that with my my investigations of the natural world. Um, so when Galileo uh, writes his, uh, his short book based on his observations to the telescope, um, the, the starry messenger, the Sidrius Nuncius, um, it's dedicated to Cosimo de' Medici for the purpose of trying to convince Cosimo to give him a job. Um, so the, 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 what is classic of scientific writing is really just an extended job application. Um, with a name like Cosmo, you the name like Cosmo well, and or Cosimo, is, you'd think he'd be interested in space. It this is actually Galileo's strategy. This is one of the reasons he chooses Cosmo is because he can make all of these puns on cosmic. Really? Um, yep. And in fact, he so one of the there, there's sort of two parts of the Sidereus Nuncius. The the first part is his observations of the moon, the lunar surface, and then yeah. the his observations of um, what nowadays we call the moons of Jupiter. But Galileo calls the the moons of Jupiter um, the Medician stars. That is the stars uh, of Medici. Um, uh, but his first that would be go, like calling them the Rockefeller stars or something. That is precisely it, right? I should say the the, the mechanics yeah. of patronage have not changed at all. Yeah. Um, or kissing ass. Just has it. That's um, nice to be very. 
and actually Galileo's first um, attempt at this, he doesn't call them the Medicean stars. He calls them the cosmic stars, um, uh, naming them after. So then he can have this pun on, on Cosmo. Um, but again, one of Galileo's friends is like, nobody's going to get the joke. They're, they're going to think you just mean stars in the sky. And Gal is like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, so there's like five copies of the Sidereus Nuncius that, that get printed uh, with it, with it be call, called the cosmic stars instead of the Medicean wow. stars. Uh, so a fantastically rare thing um, at wow. the time. Super cool. Uh, yeah. So that's um, our guy. And, and, <laughs> and so, and the, um, so he's seen the moon and he's seen Jupiter. Now, his telescope, um, was I was just looking this up yesterday. Uh, I believe it was uh, thirty or th oh no, sorry, it was about twenty x describes. It had about twenty times magnification. Yeah, something and, like um, that. <laughs> yeah, and one uh, the, you can look up on YouTube actually. If you if you search YouTube for um, looking through Galileo's telescope, there's a number of uh, nice videos. I found one uh, is quite good that someone had built a replica of Galileo's telescope and then put a camera in it, um, you know, allowed you to look through the eyepiece. And it's shocking how um, uh, it, it's a how very small it circle. Yeah. yeah, it's really bad. And you see, oh, you've got one there. What is yeah, it? Yeah, so they sell these cardboard kits for like 10, 15 bucks. Um, right. That's, uh, that replicate the experience of looking through. So we're on audio, but, but Matt is holding know, up I'm Galileo's. Holding um, yes. And as, as you say, the, the thing you'll be shocked by when you look through it is it's got a tiny um, field of view. That is how much area it covers. Um, it's yeah. really dim. Um, the uh, quality of the image is really low. Um, yeah. It's really an unimpressive piece of optics by modern standards. Yeah. The, another thing that the, um, the professor who was demonstrating this on YouTube was showing was he had his on a nice astronomical tripod and he says of course Galileo didn't have one of these either meaning that um you know Galileo would have had some kind of stand for it that would have held it still so that's fine but as far as moving it goes he could not move it in very small increments it would have been very difficult uh, although Galileo actually was a, a decent engineer he probably would have designed the best he could um but yeah anyway so it's bad um and uh but he sees the he sees uh, a few moons of Jupiter, um, which we now call the, the Galilean moons. Right? That's right, there the Galilean um, moons. Yeah. So I'm sure he would have been proud about that turn of events. Um, uh, but now we jump; we get to have an, an astounding break, and we leap to the images that were just released from the James Webb Space Telescope this week, um, which. Uh, Again, we're audio, so which I actually enjoy. I think all the best radio is visual. Um, Whoa, enjoy that. <laughs> um, so uh, how, you've seen how, if you haven't seen the images, or even if you did, I think you know it's interesting. As I spoke to a number of friends who said, I saw the images. They looked uh, they look cool, but they kind of just look like the Hubble images. So we're we're all very familiar with the Hubble Space Telescope images, uh, legend. Uh, the, the titan of astronomy that's been around for many, many years. Um, I think if you really want to appreciate the new ones, the, there are a number of sites online um, 
that allow you to actually compare the Hubble images of the exact same mm -hmm. objects with the Webb telescope. And there's one that you can even drag a slider back and forth. It's as if you can sort of, you know, uh, switch very quickly between the two. And you can see it's astounding. It's just imagine any image, you know, say a Hubble image of the deep field of all the galaxies and then just, you know, thousands of more galaxies suddenly appearing in the image and all the objects that are in the frame suddenly becoming much crisper. Um, the, the one way I can describe it is basically, whereas Hubble images uh, of these same objects that we've looked at, when you look at them now compared to the Webb telescope images, the Hubble images almost look like impressionist uh, paintings. <laughs> you know, like they're magnificent, but they're more fuzzy. We didn't think of them as fuzzy at the time because compared to what we had before, they were astoundingly clear. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the web images have astounding crispness to them. I've been um, thinking of it like, ahead. you remember when HD first came out and everybody like yeah. lost their minds, but now it's just kind of default and then 4K <laughs> came out? The yeah. webs are definitely like the 4K images where you didn't realize there yeah. was stuff you weren't seeing with the HD, but there's stuff you weren't seeing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's In particular, two of the most colorful images that they released, the uh, the one of the white dwarf, um, I'm forgetting the names at the moment, but the, uh, and the final one, the uh, maybe the two sort of nebula, uh, very dust-filled, blue, different color images are astounding in their, in their crispness. So, um, uh, I'll, I'll defer back to you, Matt, but th th there are certain, what, what what would immediately jump out? Uh, first of all, there's, there's. I'll just dispense with the fact that there is an absurdity here. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense as to why Galileo would hold his little cardboard tube up to his eye and suddenly see with this clarity. But let's no, just fine. We, we deal in absurdity he here. That's yeah. Exactly. That's what we do. That's yeah. the if. That's the if. We allow ourselves one what if, and then and then. But then we try to say you know. And so Galileo being. Uh, you know, the great scientist that he is, I think he would have tried to understood. This is what I find really fascinating. If Galileo saw these images, and for fun, we say, well, what if he saw these images through his telescope? Um, what are some of the things that would have jumped out at him immediately that he would have then had to try to think about uh, what he was seeing? So so one of the, the big things, so actually, so maybe we should take a moment. So telescopes do um, at least two important things. Um, uh, one is they can see smaller things. Um, we call this the resolution of the telescope. Um, so there are some things that are so small that uh, we can't see. Um, and I should say small in terms of perspective, right? The moons of Jupiter are actually quite large. Um, ah, but we're so far away that they look small. Right. Um, uh, and so that's called the resolution of the telescope. Um, and that's usually what we mean when we say the power of a telescope. So a powerful telescope is one that has lots of resolution and can see uh, relatively small things. And then uh, the other is that telescopes can gather up a lot of light so they can see things that are otherwise too dim to see. Um, and sometimes that's what people mean when they say Oh, true. <laughs> power true. as well. So it gets a little confusing. Right. right. Um, right. And basically, the bigger the telescope, um, the more uh, light you can catch. So that's how you get to see dimmer and dimmer things. Right. Um, and sometimes these two features are connected, but sometimes they're they're different too. So um, the web does both really well. 
Um, and that's why it's exciting. So when you do that impressionist shift from the Hubble to the web, um, more telescopes, or more telescopes, um, more stars and galaxies appear because the web is catching more light than it would otherwise, mm -hmm. uh, than, than, the, than the Hubble is able to, or that your eyes can. Um, right. So there just wasn't enough light coming from those distant galaxies to see before, but now the web can catch that. Um, and then the other thing that happens is uh, the image gets sharper. Um, and in particular, you, you'll get these bits that are hazy in the Hubble images, and then suddenly you see that they are actual stars, or you can see mm -hmm. structures in those things, right? Right. Or galaxies, um, even more, more to the Galaxies, point. right. Um, and this is one of the things that uh, actually does happen with Galileo's telescope, um, but would mm. be much more dramatic with, if he had the, the web image too, is that um, there are patches on the sky that if you look with your naked eye um, are hazy. They look like these little white smears, these white clouds. Um, and we use the Roman word uh, nebula for them, All right, so which literally just means cloud. Um, and no one is quite sure what these cloudy patches are for most of human civilization. Um, and then Galileo points his telescope at it. Um, and sees that some of these cloudy patches are actually just lots of stars packed together. Right. Um, right. So that shift that we're seeing today from the Hubble haziness to the web sharpness is, is going to be the key moment for Galileo, is that there are these things on the sky that used to look like one thing and now look like something else. Right. Um, right. He, and, he, or, or even more, he... he <laughs> the web is pointing at what we would consider an empty part of the sky. Yeah. Um, sometimes in, in, in one of its images, the, the deep field, they're calling the SMACS, the SMACS, mm -hmm. uh, deep field. Um, so Galileo could have pointed at a, quote, empty part of the sky and would have suddenly seen, again, if he had this magical That's right, power. And that there was stuff These there. objects. Right. Yeah. Like a lot, um, like thousands yeah. of things of different shapes, different colors. I mean, yeah. Uh, and some of those objects are recognizable. Some of them are clearly stars that look uh -huh, right like the other stars we see in the sky, just smaller and dimmer. Um, right. And then there's also crazy stuff. Um, except, yeah. So things like uh, what nowadays we would call spiral nebulae or planetary nebulae that's, um, that have distinct shapes and substructures too. Right. Uh, that are nothing like you can see with the naked eye. Um, so and this he would is, have screamed, yeah. would he have screamed, Mamma Mia? Um, <laughs> I, I can't, I don't know how he I felt had to about go there. ABBA I had to go or Jokebox so musicals. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so it's hard to say. Something um, Italian. <clears throat> something amazing in Italian. Um, Gabby, what would, if you suddenly, if you were Galileo, and you suddenly saw thousands of galaxies of all different shapes. First of all, he doesn't even know what galaxies are. What would you, how would you describe them, and what would be your reaction if you looked up at an empty part of the sky and suddenly you saw it was full of these uh, zillions of bizarre shapes, all different colors, things like that? Yeah, I mean, so first off, I'm kind of wondering, you know, where that would sit within what was known at the time, right? Because planets, well, we're on one, and moons, we have one. So that kind of makes sense to be observing, right? But then all of a sudden right. you're seeing something that, I mean, you have the context of our own star, 
but now you're seeing stuff that's completely bonkers. Um, so how do you try to fit that within what's known astronomically at the time? Uh, and I was also thinking too, you know, one of the great benefits of the Webb telescope is infrared. It's able to see yes. the makeup of like the atmospheres of distant planets. There's one that everyone was losing their mind over. It doesn't come with a nice, sexy picture like uh, we've been all losing our minds over, but it came, came with an analysis of the atmosphere that had water vapor in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, you know, not only is Galileo seeing all of these weird new spiral arm galaxies and whatnot, he's also able to be like, oh, I can tell you what the makeup of a distant planet is, which actually, in retrospect, might have gotten him executed by the church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It yeah, to say there's water on another planet, that wouldn't have been so good. Um, um, uh, yeah, so actually, so I'm really glad you brought that up. So to add to my list of things that telescopes can do for you, so the two things I mentioned um, are essentially just extending the way we see with our eyes just better. Um, and then what Gabby's pointing out is that you can build a telescope that can do things that our eyes cannot at all, a totally yeah. new kind of seeing, like spectroscopy. Um so if we're letting Galileo do that, then that's a big challenge as well. Um, and the challenge is, is making sense of what it is he's seeing. Um, so a spectral graph, we know, <clears throat> we know how to look at a spectral graph and interpret that as that's the material of the atmosphere we're looking at. Um, but it's still just a series of lines. So if you don't have sort of the theory of spectroscopy to make sense of that, um, you would have a very hard time understanding what it was you were looking at. Um, it's really just a strange series of dark and light lines on the sky. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so I'm not quite sure what Galileo might have made of a, a spectrogram. Um, uh, because be, even the... Yeah. Well, actually, I was going to add, I don't think, you know, he wouldn't... He would have needed to, that, that, that would, it's interesting to mention that I think we have to, in, in just refining the if, I think we're saying is it has, uh, his telescope has some of the applications of the web, but not all of them. He wouldn't have all the instruments that are <laughs> attached to it. Although that would have been kind of amazing mm-hmm. too. That's fine. That'd be cool suddenly, too. Yeah. He suddenly got a printout. Well, I, <laughs> I think part of oh some of the goodness. images though are taken in infrared. Uh, yeah, like no, the, absolutely. Okay. So the infrared, the, the infrared aspect is a huge part of it. In fact, mm-hmm. the truth is that um, one of the reasons we see so many more objects, stars, galaxies, basically, um, and clouds of dust, one of the reasons we see so much more in the web images than we do in the Hubble is that the Hubble is an optical telescope that had some infrared um uh, sensing capability, but the web has much, much, much more infrared. So the, the web is is translating an enormous amount of stuff. If you, the, the truth is, no matter how powerful Galileo's telescope was, being purely an optical telescope, if he pointed at that same part of the sky that the web looked, if you had got binoculars powerful enough that you could point and look at the same place that the web is looking at, you would not see very much, actually, uh, with your uh, eyes. Yes, that's right. It would just be dark. Yeah, so like those right. spectacular nebula photos. Um, right uh, to the naked eye would would be meaningless. Right, um, and further further but, than that, you need he would need the power of photography, which allows you even the Hubble spent hours and hours or weeks staring at one place, slowly building yeah, up the brightness. So this is actually it. an important part of the story too. Is that yeah. Galileo needs to be able to write this stuff down so he can get his job, ah. 
and get credit for his observations. Um, and as you say, this is a couple centuries before photography. So what options does he have? Well, it turns out he is a trained artist. So he breaks out his ink washes and watercolors and yeah. paints what he sees. Yeah. Um, and we have, we actually still have the original paintings he makes for this. Um, ah. and they're essentially done on scrap paper, um, that he has laying around. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and that actually, it's, it's a great insight into what Galileo's office must have looked like um, because <laughs> he, he clearly just grabbed the nearest piece of paper. Um, and one of them is a horoscope that he's casting for somebody because that's one no of the way. ways you made, you made money as a mathematician back in the day. As um, a so, he just, yeah, so he just took the horoscope, flipped it over, and painted what he was seeing on the moon there. Um, wow. Wow. And this is there's I think it's an important sense in which this is what makes the difference for Galileo because he's not he doesn't invent the telescope he's not the first person to look at the sky, but he's the first person trained in perspective drawing, who who was <sighs> able to do this. So his um, his paintings of the moon um, are persuasive for convincing people that there are mountains and craters there, which is his his, yeah. his big insight. Um, yeah. Whereas the other folks who look through the telescope don't know how to make those sorts of persuasive pictures. Right. Um, go ahead, so given his skill as an artist, if yeah. he's all like seeing all of these nebulas, that's going to be like the best seller. Um, he needs an airbrush. Book. Yeah. These yeah, are going to be extraordinary he, things. Um, he and, could say he's going to be selling, mm -hmm. you know, these posters down on the Venice boardwalk like crazy. That's right. Like and people. maybe, you know, maybe he decides he can make more money doing that than <laughs> than being mathematics tutor to Cosmo, which is where he, he ends up. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the the big question that, that Gabby brought up a minute ago is, is how do you fit these new observations into the cosmology that's available to him? Yes. Um, yes. This is pretty complicated. Um both for the original observations and for the the Galileo web um, images. Um, because the first thing that's clear is these are not compatible with the Aristotelian view, which is still the dominant academic view at the time. Um, that is, that's the, the view that the Earth is at the center of the universe and everything moves around it in these perfect circles. Um, so whatever this nebula is, um, is clearly not part of the Aristotelian scheme. Um, yeah. the fact that there are these vast numbers of stars that we could not see before, um, is not part of the Aristotelian scheme. Um, so all these things are incompatible with the dominant worldview. Um, yeah. exactly what they are compatible with is really unclear. Um, you know, we, we think of Galileo's observations as, as confirming Copernicus, but they don't really. Um, there's nothing, Copernicus doesn't make a specific prediction that Galileo confirms, um, but rather... Meaning that the Earth goes around the sun, not the right. sun. The sun yeah. does not go around the Earth. Mm -hmm. yeah. And even the web images won't help with that. Um, right. But what the web images do is make it clear that the universe is nothing like what... Um, Aristotle conceived of, right? It's yeah. not the neat spherical perfect circle arrangement. The neat. It's this total mess of yeah, that's bizarreness right. out there. Yeah. That's what struck um, me. When, when I had this idea that what if Galileo saw these images through his telescope, the thing that struck me immediately was what a mess it looks like, um, which is exciting to modern day scientists 
but that a huge part of Galileo's problems was that he, you know even just proposing that the moons of Jupiter clearly the moon, that <laughs> these lights that appear to be going back and forth in front of and behind Jupiter must be revolving around Jupiter that's messy enough that was her her heretical right there well it's um, messy in the, that's right it's messy in the sense that it gets rid of the Arist because that doesn't make any sense in the aristotelian cosmos right, right. Uh, or or even that the moon was not a not a very smooth ball yeah, that's, a, that that's right. heretical that's right yeah because every well i mean heretical is not the right word here because we're talking uh, about uh, heretical is a religious framework but we're just talking about uh, aristotle's philosophical scientific structure here uh, um uh, it's, it would just be wrong. That is, <laughs> yeah. if you're an, if yeah. you're an Aristotelian, it can't be the case that the moon is a messy thing. Um, so this is really strong evidence that the, the universe is a huge mess. Um, right. and this is not, uh, this will not be the first piece of evidence for this. So for at least a generation, it's been increasingly clear that the universe is a weird is it could be a weird place. Um, yeah. So this is an era of um, a, 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 a huge explosion of different cosmological theories and different ways of thinking about uh, the universe. We think of it as just Aristotle versus Copernicus because that makes for a good story. Um, but in fact, everybody had their own um, weird way of thinking. So this is when Kepler and a little before Descartes, um, huh. Giordano Bruno, um, everybody's got these strange ideas. Um, and it's really not clear how to decide among any of them. Um, I don't think the web images particularly line up with any of these, um, except maybe for Bruno's, I should say, which was um, huh. uh, this sense that uh, the universe is gigantic, possibly infinite, um, full of stars, just like our sun, um, yeah. with planets that are inhabited as well. Yeah. Um, so I think what this might do is kind of break open the conversation in 1609, um, to make it possible because now everybody's going to have come up with a brand new kind of cosmology that matches one of these strange pictures that Galileo has brought back. Um, yeah. so it's going to be like, um, a, uh, internet forum, right? Everybody has their own weird idea that they're going to be putting forward. Yeah. And just would have been so radical. One thing we haven't even mentioned is that another huge, uh, when you see these, um, in the SM, SMAX, uh, image, the deep field from the web, which is you know, basically you just see, you see, uh, dozens of stars very brightly um very very bright stars those are actually very close to us relatively speaking and then in the background you just see untold thousands of galaxies many 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 of which we've never seen before and they're mm -hmm. all different as i keep mentioning it's almost like a almost like a scene out of like a the deep ocean or something or just zillions of these shapes every galaxy is different and they're different colors and they're swirling and many of them interacting and, and revolving around each other collide who knows what's going on but another a uh, 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 thing element in these images that jumps out at you is these streaks or these round streaks or galaxies uh if you know what a galaxy looks like you can see these yeah. are incredibly distorted and sometimes even mirror images all kinds of totally weird objects which are all gravitational lensing we understand today if you mm -hmm. know what that is um but uh 
man, yeah, and Galileo are, would have had no right, idea what to do with that. Exactly. Right. So those <laughs> those are good examples of the difficulty of interpreting raw pictures like this. Um, uh-huh, so uh-huh. because we know what gravitational lensing is, we recognize those streaks as a particular optical phenomenon, and we can right. and we can then interpret them to figure out what they actually are. Um, If you don't know about gravitational lensing, um, then those just look like different kinds of structures. You think that there are these weird arc-shaped things out in the universe. Um, Or you think there's something wrong with your lens. That's entirely possible because it looks like an optical effect, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that would be a totally reasonable thing. So the first time you use a new technique, like a telescope or a space telescope, Figuring out what it is you're looking at is an enormous amount of work and not at all easy to do. Um, and this is the case for Galileo's original telescope, too. I mean, yeah. we, we make fun of people now. So what, one of there's sort of an apocryphal story that Galileo sets up his telescope and some people look through it and they say they just don't believe what it is they see. Um, but that's actually a not unreasonable position to take um, yeah. because the optical quality is poor. It's really not clear what it is you're looking at. It takes a lot of work to figure out what an image means. Um, so if, uh, if we want to have some sympathy for the philosophers of um, 1609 Florence, it's that kind of feeling of looking at the web images without understanding gravitational lensing and just seeing all this odd stuff um, yeah. and not having the intellectual tools necessary to make sense of it. Yeah. I also think there's a certain framework that we have now that we kind of take for granted in, in the fact that, you know, before only what you're really physically looking at is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of used to a certain amount of visual abstraction, right? When you look in a telescope, you have to understand and process that what you're looking at is actually millions and millions and millions of miles away. Um, and not necessarily just something you could see and travel to on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, where now we're kind yeah. of used to looking at, you know, live streams of events that's it's happening somewhere, even though I'm not looking at it directly. And I think that's more of a thing that we're primed to now than maybe in Galileo's time where you know, he's trying to convince people that there is something on the other end of this. It's just so far away. You can't see it. Yeah, yeah that's really helpful. And because as you say, um, it's hard to remember that Galileo's telescope is the first modification to human vision ever. Okay. Until, until that device, every human being saw exactly the same things forever. Although they had, for they as had long as there have been then. human beings. Did they have, oh, that's they right. Yeah, that's right. So for things like uh, reading lenses. Yeah. So maybe I, yeah. I overstated that. Yeah. Um, uh, but the idea that you can look through um, an artificial device and see something that you could not see before yeah. Um, is an extraordinary claim. And now it's trivial. We do, and we're doing it right now as we're talking to each other, right? <laughs> we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're interpreting the images on our screens um, uh, as representing realistic things. Um, and if Gabby suddenly held up a hamster, I would say, okay, she's got a hamster. And because I, I, I know how to interpret the image I'm seeing here. Um, yeah. But if I had never encountered something like Zoom or Riverside before, um, I'd be like, well, this could be anything. I have, I have no reason to yeah. think that this is a this is a real thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so the I think the thing I would want to stress is that making sense of the images we're getting from the web are the last step in four hundred years of our civilization having practice looking at mysterious images and making sense yep. of them. Yep. Um, 
it would be very hard to have meaningful interpretations of them without those baby steps. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, just as a, a kind of a beautiful symmetry to our discussion today, um, yesterday or last night, NASA released um, the latest images from Webb, which happened to be of Jupiter and its oh, moons. Oh, how nice. Yeah, and uh, the web will be, yeah, it will, they're a little bit crude because they're actually, I believe they're actually from, um, it's almost like navigation instruments aboard the web or something that they've been sort of mm -hmm. testing out, um, but they, we will be getting, uh, the web will also be looking at planets inside our own solar system with, you know, who knows what we're going to discover for that. You can see the, it, it's so powerful, you can see the faint ring that is around Jupiter in the web telescope, which is... Nice. Incredible. Um, and you can see Europa, one of the Galilean moons, or Medici yeah, moons, or Cosmo mm -hmm. moons, as they were, as they variously been known. So very exciting. Thank you for this. Uh, I just think it would be so cool. If you do speak Italian, let us know what Galileo would have exclaimed upon seeing the web, one of the web images through his, uh, through his telescope. I think that would have been fun. Um, so uh, great. Uh, I can also re recommend, I believe, do you know, I feel like, Matt, you know uh, Deva Sobel? Or do you know? She, uh, so, yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, Galileo's Daughter is an excellent uh, book. I uh, it is, yeah. All of, um, all of Sobel's stuff is great. She's a uh, yeah. writer. Um, uh, with uh, yeah, Galileo's Daughter, Longitude, um, Glass Universe, all excellent books uh -huh. in the history yeah. of astronomy. Yeah. yeah. And on YouTube, I saw there's a great. Um, a documentary that was made by the PBS show Nova just a few years ago about Galileo, based on that book, Galileo's Daughter, which is excellent if you want to learn more about Galileo. And uh, definitely look up those pictures of the web from the web telescope. So um, uh, Patreon members will get a bonus. We'll have a, we, uh, we're going to have a short uh, post-show discussion. So um, if you're a Patreon member, go to patreon.com. Actually, no matter who you are, go to patreon.com slash whattheif and find out about our membership program. If you're already a member, or if you become a member, when you go visit that page, there's no obligation. But if you do, you'll see a whole bunch of post-show discussions, bonus material, only for our Patreon members. So we'll, we'll have a little bit of that. So thank you, uh, everyone. Um, Gabby, anything you want to plug? Any real estate nope, tips? I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, just don't do what I do and pack a little bit further in advance. That is my single real estate tip. <laughs> very good very good um all right everyone so, um uh, gabby would you lead us in our closing ritual what uh, here's something galileo would have exclaimed yeah his telescope what do we you know do? as we as we stick our eyes up to this uh much smaller telescope and are all of a sudden granted the vision of this tennis court sized telescope hovering out in space we cannot help but exclaim at all of the images meeting our eyes what the thank you all for listening see you next week <laughs>